Today's reading is from 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandments we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Our second reading is from Ephesians chapter 2. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also... Last week I was in a high school in Manila, and on the mural, and those of you who are friends with me on Facebook would have seen this, there's a mural that, that read a quote from Pablo Picasso, and it said, Art brushes from the soul the dust of everyday life. And hearing that beautiful cello music um, makes me f- feel more, more clean and more clear, and I hope it has the same for you. Thank you. I hope that one of my sons will pick up the cello. I'm hoping as much as I can force that. Before I begin, I want to share a few uh, disclaimers or, or a few details about me, and, and one of them is that I, I'm just starting to dive into some of these things that I'm sharing, and so I don't want the earnest desire that I have, and it, you'll, you'll get very clear that I'm earnest about it, um, I don't want you to mistake that for a lot of understanding or much experience. Um, the other disclaimer is that I have degrees from CLU in history and political science and in counseling, so that means a few things. One, even in normal discourse, I have a really difficult time not referencing history, not talking about something from the world, and not getting political. I don't think that uh, you should expect me to be any different today. Um, I also uh, tend to talk about feelings, and I may actually express some of my own, so consider yourself warned. The, the final uh, detail or disclaimer is that I'm a Mormon, and while I've been told that I'm not the most conventional one that people have met, um, this fact is actually not very central to my message today, but I think you knowing that about me from the start uh, will help me be able to share some stories without needing to add a lot of details or context. So now that we have that covered, radical kinship, fearless love, love without borders or conditions. In addition to these beautiful prophetic words of Paul and of John, uh, I'm going to add a few others. One of them from a prophet in the Book of Mormon named King Benjamin. Another from someone I consider to be a a modern prophetic voice. His name is Father Gregory Boyle. He's a Jesuit priest and founder of Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles. And uh, in the last year or so has become a a hero of mine. And whenever I quote somebody, unless I say otherwise, it's from him. So, uh, and if I reference Father G, that's who I'm talking about. So the first quote is actually from him. If there's a fundamental challenge within these stories, it is simply to change our lurking suspicion that some lives matter less than other lives. I arrived as a new student at CLU in the summer of 2002. was not a conventional student. At the age of 23, I was a newlywed, a transfer student from BYU, living in Peterson Hall, where my wife was just given a job to do the impossible, bring calm to the chaos that is a freshman resident hall. And honestly, I wasn't quite sure how I would be received. I felt utterly other as a student at CLU. But whatever fears I had were quickly put aside in the old coffee shop that is now the study abroad office. And those fears were put aside primarily by pastors Melissa and Scott. I remember several lunches over turkey melts being relieved that uh, they were actually interested in knowing me. They welcomed me 
and quickly compelled me to believe that I was not a stranger at CLU, but that I was a fellow citizen. And when I came back to CLU last month after leaving a, a two-year sabbatical of sorts to another college, I was again opened uh, into this community, welcomed by so many of you with wide open arms, probably a little bit more of me to hug than last time, um, but a feeling of home, a feeling of kinship. Another quote from Father G. No daylight to separate us, only kinship, inching ourselves closer to creating a community of kinship such that God might recognize it. Soon we imagine with God a circle of compassion. We imagine no one standing outside of that circle, moving ourselves closer to the margins so that the margins themselves are erased. We stand there with those whose dignity has been denied. We locate ourselves with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless. At the edges, we join the easily despised and the readily left out. We stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. We situate ourselves right next to the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. It's so easy to make others feel that they're worth, that they're wholly acceptable and lovable. Unfortunately, it's easy to do the opposite, and we see so many instances where people buy into the lie that they're less than, disposable, unlovable, separate, invisible. And as a result, pain and suffering of the worst kinds follow. Even more tragic is that we often cloak these things under the use or the, the cloak of justice or religion or the utter nonsense of tough love to exclude, to cut off, to marginalize. This is a term that I'm coining that's probably not a very good one, but uh, the global mathematics of enmity, of fear, of separateness, they're frightening. A few examples, a few lives lost on one continent equate to several hundreds of thousands of lives being shattered. A rocket attack that injures a few equals several thousand being deprived of basic human rights without a voice or any recourse. A father and mother who break a broken law to bring their children to a land of promise purchase that life with fear in the shadows and fear of being separate, being deported. A nation that often claims by some to be founded on Christian principles, yet we drop the cross, worship Mars, the god of war, at the easiest provocation with a gun in one hand and a flag in the other. A people so suspiciously fearful of young men in sweatshirts, yet tragically oblivious to the long-term effects that slavery, disenfranchisement, and despair can have on a people. How many people in my life, in your lives, have been forgotten, cast out, unfriended, unloved because they disagreed, because they questioned God, stopped believing in God, started believing in a different God, or just didn't know what to do with their lives? And how many young men and women who find themselves outside discarded because when they finally do come out to those that should love them fearlessly, they're cut off and reinforcing the belief that if their friends and family can't love them, then how on earth could God love them? These things should not be. Quote, if, God, if we're not careful, God can get tiny. There's a better path, and it does often seem infinitely more difficult. Uh, the things I shared are not terribly pleasant, but there is a better way, and there's a, a better path. And if you were to ask Father G, out of the poorest, most violent areas in Los Angeles, he and those that have served with him have carved and created a community and a path back to love and acceptance. He reminds those who society hates and incarcerates that they're lovable, wholly acceptable, and worth giving a damn about. But it's not easy. He struggles, and he admits that he struggles to love the kids who kill the kids he loves. How much more difficult can that love be? 
But after decades of pain and trial and error, there stands through his ministry thousands of lives made new and whole, all through the power of boundless compassion and fearless love. But if you were to ask him, as reporters often do, how he does it, he just immediately points to Jesus. And whether you, like I believe, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, or others, that he simply was a cool rabbi with a radically compelling idea, he can be our example of how to turn the tides and invite people back in and love without fear. The criminal, the tax collector, the Samaritan, the prostitute, the poor, children, he didn't stand for them, he stood with them. He invited into his presence in his boundless embrace. He invited them to shift their burdens onto his shoulders and to leave their, their lives, leave behind their lives of despair, sin, and decay. The only instances I can find that we see of his wrath and displeasure are actually directed not at the poor and the suffering and the sinners, but at the ultra-religious of the day who knew the law and really should have known better. The way he treated the most marginalized is our map and our guide. Quote, kinship, not serving the other, but being one with the other. Jesus was not a man for others. He was one with them. There's a world of difference in that. So what do we do with the poor on the street, those that ask us for help? In the Book of Mormon, there's a sermon given by an aging prophet slash king, but he wasn't conventional. He labored for his own food and shelter. He never asked for taxes or tribute from his people. In his final address to those people he loved and served, there's something incredibly specific um, in his instruction and counsel. He pled with them and with us that if we are to find someone begging for food or for money or for anything, we should never say within ourselves, as unfortunately I have, I can't give to that person. What will, what will they do with that money? They likely have brought this upon themselves. But so what if they have a mental illness or are enslaved by addiction? If we have, we give. No conditions, no judgment, no questions. That was King Benjamin's instruction. He said, for behold, are we not all beggars? Do we not all depend upon the same being, even God, for the substance which we have, for both food, for raiment, for gold, and for silver, and for all the riches which we have of every kind? Now, if God, who has created you, on whom you're dependent for your lives and all that you have and are, is granted to you whatever you ask which is right in faith, believing you shall receive, oh, then how you ought to impart of the substance you have to another. Another quote from Father G. Here is what we seek. A compassion that can stand in awe at the burden the, boor, the burden the poor have to carry rather than stand in judgment at how they carry it. As a teenager, I decided to take Jesus at his word when he asked his disciples to take his good news to the world. Not to compel or to force, but to invite. And I chose to serve a mission for that good news. And I spent two years in Japan doing a lot of service, volunteering with elementary schools and uh, retirement communities, doing a lot of inviting, although I can't say that many Japanese people took us up on our invitation to learn about Jesus. But I, I thought I'd learned a lot about love and sacrifice until the last few months of my time in Japan when I was paired up with my friend Hartman Macy. He was the second half of that pairing of Mormon missionaries you see walking and riding around. But at the time, uh, he, while he and I were assigned to minister to the people of Nagasaki, he was in bad shape. He was in pain, and a deep depression had taken hold. And my assignment really changed to be one of more of helping him stay safe and whole until arrangements could be made for him to get home to more qualified help. Honestly, it was a tense and a very dark several days, watching over him, trying to get him to laugh, uh, staying awake, awake each night, waiting for him to fall asleep before I did, just in case. Uh, 
One night, while he was particularly low, we went for a walk. Along the way, we passed by a woman who was crouched on the ground crying. And like all the fools in Jesus' parable, I passed her by. My intention was fine. I thought, well, Japanese people, they kind of like their personal emotional space. It'd probably be rude if I upset her or disturbed her crying. Well, Hartman Macy knew more of love and kinship than I did. Without warning, he ran away. I was a little disturbed. He ran away from me. Somebody that I kept in my sight every waking hour ran away from me. I ran after him thinking that seeing her had triggered something, some bad memory or some kind of dark emotion. But I knew nothing. Finally, I came to him as he was kneeling down in the front yard of a stranger. He's picking something up. Next thing I knew, he's running back past me, back towards where we came, back to the woman who was crying. He kneeled down, but this time to give to her what he had taken from the stranger's garden. And then it hit me, and I knew what was happening. In the shadows, I saw a beautiful, perfect flower. Instead of preaching or passing a Bible or a brochure, he demonstrated a higher power and a gift to know exactly what she needed at that moment. And what she needed was a message that she was not alone, that she was known, that she was loved. Nothing was said. We walked off, leaving a bewildered, though comforted woman in our wake. But the greatness of that friend walking beside me, while he again slipped into his own pain, has left me changed forever. Again, to quote Father Boyle, create a community of kinship such that God might recognize it, such that there's no us and them, there's only us. It's my prayer that in these difficult days filled with rumors of wars, filled with culture wars, of what to do with the incarcerated, the undocumented, with political and social fragmentation, my prayers that will hold fast to these examples of inspired men and women and of Jesus himself. I pray that, that we, that I will shift my thinking away from my own needs, my own moral certitude of what to stand for and instead stand with those who have no one else to stand with to clothe and feed those who've lost it all regardless of how they've lost it, to love those who wrong us and love those who scare us, to stand in awe at the burdens others carry instead of sitting in judgment at how they carry them. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen.